0: Welcome to OnPsych, the podcast of the Ontario Psychological Association. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Douglas. I'm a psychologist in Barrie, Ontario at Central Ontario Psychology. I'm also a past president of uh, the Ontario Psychological Association. And I'm here today with Dr. Lori Triano-Antidormi, who is a registered uh, clinical and rehabilitation psychologist here in Ontario, working at uh, Hamilton, Ontario. Welcome, Lori. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Jonathan, for having me. My pleasure.
0: It's, it's a very, very great pleasure to have you here. Now, the reason I've, I've invited Lori, um, well, there's a number of reasons. I mean, number one, from afar, I, 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 I see do not recall if you and I have ever spoken, but I know, I know you, and I know, you know, so much about you, you know, I think I've seen you speak, you know, at, at OPA events at the very least, Right.
1: Yeah, I think we spoke a little briefly at the
0: last one. We must have done. Yes, yes. With my memory, of course, it's not unusual that I would totally forget something important like that. But you are actually someone who has always stood out in my mind. Um, as someone I, I'm, I mean, your, your story blows me away. Who you are blows me away. And I I think you know, we'll we'll soon be getting into that. But the reason why I so much wanted to have you on in this very bizarre holiday season, and of course, you know, no one will be listening to this during the holiday season, but of course, you and I are meeting on December 21st. As of today, you know, 14,000 families in uh, in Canada are, are going to be grieving uh, a loss uh, associated with COVID uh, this year. And, of course, by the time people hear that, that number is going to be substantially higher. And it's such a, um, an unusual season for us. It's been an unusual year for us. And, you know, it, it puts me in mind of, you know, the kinds of things that you've had to deal with um, in your personal life and what you've learned to deal with professionally in terms of dealing with trauma and grief. And, you know, these are things I've been thinking about a, a, a very great deal. Um, I've always been fascinated by the link between trauma and grief. And we can get uh, into that um, a little bit further. But, I mean, you are someone who really embodies that both uh, personally and professionally, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, your, your career, I have no doubt, was very enormously impacted by what happened to you and your family.
1: Yeah, most definitely the direction of my career, for sure, because initially I didn't start out thinking I would do sort of trauma and grief and traumatic bereavement. But, you know, in time, my personal experience did direct where a lot of my clinical practice focuses.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's such an inspiring story as well, because, you know, what you have done, uh you know is is not only help the bereaved but you've also helped the mentally ill mm-hmm. and you know helped helped to you know support those whose illness drives them into behavior which does not represent who they truly are and i think that is something which you know so many people are are You know, have a hard time wrapping their head around, Mm -hmm. right? So, maybe it would make a lot more sense if I let you tell your story.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, like we said, Jonathan, I mean, I was actually um, on the temporary registrar, and my two and a half year old son Zachary was killed. He was stabbed by my neighbor, who suffered a serious and enduring mental illness, and who was found not criminally responsible by reason of a mental disorder for Zachary's murder. At the time, as I said, I wasn't practicing trauma and bereavement. That didn't come until I did my own trauma and grief work, probably, Jonathan, some eight to ten years later.
0: I see. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In that process, I mean, what through treatment, what did you learn about how to manage this, this, this enormous loss? Through my own personal treatment, um, I learned
1: that it is a sort of one step at a time process that is very unpredictable. Probably one of the most important mm-hmm. things in the early stages was self care. And also learning about mm-hmm. trauma reactions and learning about grief reactions so that I understood what was going on and didn't think that I was going crazy. I think psychoeducation is significant in, in traumatic bereavement when we often feel we are losing our own minds.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's something I think so many of our clients respond to, right? You know, when they, they first come in to see us, you know, that understanding that they're not alone, that their actions or reactions rather are, are understandable and comprehensible. And yet it's something that at the same time, something that I, I often observe is that there are no two people who are alike, right? You know, that every single person I see in my office is so unique in so many ways, they can be so unique in their own response to things. And, you know, that's, that's a, a, a huge, um, part of it as well. So it's that fascinating interplay between what is common and what is unique, you know, in, in every single individual.
1: Exactly. And I mean, one thing that's for sure is that some point we're all going to grieve, you know, grieve the loss of, of a yes. loved one. But as you said, we all grieve so differently. There, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. no there's no yeah. right or wrong or there's no stages um of grief.
0: Yeah. Yes, no so Elizabeth Kübler-Ross did such a great job of of introducing us to the importance of grief. And then, you know, I think did a uh, did a bit of a disservice in suggesting that there are stages, right? You know, mm-hmm. and you have to do it right and you have to do it on a timeline, right? <laughs> you know, and these kinds of things. I I can you know Something that strikes me, of course, is that, you know, grief is a process that never ends, right? Right,
1: you know, and it. I mean, I think the caution there, Jonathan, I remember in, in my first few weeks um, following Zachary's death, you know, someone, you know, mentioning that grief was sort of a lifelong process. And at that moment in time when I was overwhelmed thinking, how the heck am I going to survive this, never mind live again? Um, right. you know, I was overwhelmed by that thought. So, um, we learn through that psychoeducation, like we said, that grief changes. And yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
1: It never end. ends,
0: but it does absolutely transform constantly throughout the the process throughout the year. Right. You know, I mean, the yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are times of year that, you know, affect you differently than others and, yeah. you know, and yeah, you know, sure. I think
1: that, as we progress through our grief um and it changes, so does our focus. you know initially, the focus is so much on on the death um uh-huh. and the loss, and then, in time, you know, after you do your your grief work and trauma work, if that's there as well, um your focus changes and and it becomes more of a focus on the person and the person's life and Um, what they gave you and honoring all that and and remembering
0: that. Yeah. 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 What do you suppose, I mean, you know, you were thrust into the world of traumatic grief, um, obviously, uh, you know, and, and, you know, subsequently I would imagine, you know, engaged with uh, the world of non-traumatic grief, right? What do you see as the difference between the two
1: well in traumatic grief obviously the, the the death is traumatic you know so it's typically sudden unexpected and overwhelms our ability to cope so in a in mm-hmm. a traumatic grief the the intensity of the emotions is often more severe and then you may have the presence of those trauma symptoms. Which then can impact your grief, often making it more complicated, and typically too, Jonathan, prolonging the grief. Not that there's any timeline yes. for grief, but the, the complication of the trauma can prolong your recovery, if you will.
0: I mean one of the uh, one of the symptoms of of trauma of PTSD is avoidance. Right. It's it's numbing. It's not wanting to talk about it. It's not wanting to think about it, Um, trying to push it away from awareness just so that you can kind of get through your days. Right. And of course, you know, that flies in the face of what we know we need to do with grieving. Right. Which is to make room for it and honor it and sit with it and talk about it and remember and i I think that's, that's a fascinating um, uh, you know disparity you know, between the two of them. you know and that's the that traumatic piece really gets in the way, as you say, of the of the grieving, doesn't it?
1: Yes, because like you said, you know, we work to avoid um, th- thoughts and feelings associated with the trauma. and when the trauma mm-hmm. is the death, we we often try to, if we're able to, um, avoid that thinking. And one of the tasks, if you will, of grief work is being able to acknowledge the reality of the death, which is very hard when you work to try and avoid the death and the associated thoughts and feelings.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know.
1: Yeah. And, and so, without processing that trauma, you can then become really sort of. Stuck or frozen in your grief and not be able to move toward remembering the life of the person.
0: Something I've I've often um, I've often thought about you, you know, in 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 the context of you know the trauma work that I do, because I've come, up, you know, so I have this idea that in every single trauma. There is a loss, you know, and it may not be a loss of, you know, somebody that you love, right? It may not even be a loss of a a person. It can be a loss of an illusion, right? I mean, you think about, you know, obviously there's, there's the loss of your son, right? But then there's the loss of the future that you would have had with him, Right you know there there are these 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 abstract losses mm-hmm. right you know that you know um you you know it it's the the ab, one abstract loss which i think is so common in you know whether there's a traumatic loss or not in trauma there's a loss of that sense of control you know the sense of predictability of our lives right in traumatic bereavement,
1: we kind of lose the belief system that we have, you know? I mean, we typically think the world is safe and fair Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. and and that we have control, as you said. And as a parent, I mean, you know, we also have the belief that we can protect our child. So you get that loss of, Or change in in your belief system that's, as you described, is common to a trauma response or reaction.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And that's where I I, I see this overlap so, so clearly. You know, the the emotion, I'm, you know, we don't tend to associate you know like a motor vehicle accident or or you know something that happens on the job with a first responder we won't necessarily associate that with the emotions that we tend to assume are associated with grief right you know that that enormous sense of loss right but there is this transformation in your sense of the world of your sense of your place in the world right and that is such that is something to be grieved i think in in virtually every single trauma
1: yeah i mean the loss you know when you talk about first responders of that sense of safety and sense of control and and trust i mean you know yes. there's often right a loss of trust in not only other people but in yourself and that i think goes with both first responders and traumatic bereavement right
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You touched on something too, which I I, I think about so much. That that I, I think you used the word bitterness, right? You know the the, the bitterness that can go with, you know, uh, that loss. Can mm-hmm. you can you expand on that a little bit more for me?
1: Well, I think oftentimes when we experience loss, we have a range of emotional expression and experience, and one of them is is bitterness or upset or, or anger at, you know, the unjustness, if you will, of the loss and Mm -hmm. and sort of why me Mm -hmm. and why my loved one and, and the bitterness really towards the world.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, in, in my work, um, I I suspect it's a concept you see often as well as that, that concept of the the perceived injustice, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think one day I'll do a whole podcast on, on its own. Um, You know, that the way in which essentially anger, bitterness, rage towards, you know, uh, what has happened literally and demonstrably uh, impedes, the process of recovery whether it's from a physical injury or a psychological injury and you know that which is i think it's so amazing in your case because you are really the paragon of moving beyond that can you can you say a bit more about that
1: yeah it's interesting you know when i wasn't as angry as i think many people might have expected i might be um given yeah. really the failure of the of the criminal justice system to assist, you know, not only us, but our neighbor. Um yeah. but in my yeah, in my work and um people have experienced traumatic loss or or any type of loss, that anger can really distract one. I think sometimes, Jonathan, from the true meaning of the loss, right? I think under that mm-hmm. anger, there's the disappointment, the sadness, the fear, and also what those losses mean to you. And the anger sort of can yeah. fuel our energy and, and help us cope. But it's, you know, I often say to people when we talk about anger, that it's really one letter away from danger and it can be quite dangerous if we don't process it. You know, it's a natural yeah. reaction to loss, but it, it does have the potential to be very destructive to not only ourselves in our grief work, but also to those around us.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. You did something, I think, which is, is truly remarkable, which is you actually became an advocate, uh, mm. you know, for the mentally ill, right? Here you suffered so horrifically, you know, um, through you know, some people would say you know the hands of someone who's mentally ill. Um, I've actually used your story. I've I've shared your story. You know, in some cases with my clients, when you know they, they they'd come up with you know uh, the rage you know towards you know someone who was you know um, not necessarily in their right mind when they committed a crime mm-hmm. and how they you know the the way that they interpret the. Uh, the justice system's response to that as somebody getting away with something, right? And that's not how you've approached this, is it?
1: No, and I think Jonathan, that you know, part of my um, internships did involve working with people with serious mental illness, and and I think that really yeah. did help me understand that. They can act out of an ill mind rather than an ill intent, and I think my role as like yes. my role as a psychologist, when there was some legislation with regards to the not criminally responsible defense, and I, I felt it was very stigmatizing because it focused on the behavior, you know, not mm-hmm. the, the illness. Um, so right. I it was the the psychologist in me that was working to fight. Stigma and increased understanding with regard to mental illness, which I know in my own healing and recovery was so important. I think without that understanding yeah. it my sort of progress in traumatic bereavement um may have been different because serious mental illness can be very difficult to understand unless you see it firsthand,
0: yes 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 and so in a way you had you know this advantage right of yeah. of understanding what that looks like where you you know a lay person might not naturally you know they bring to it you know their sense of you know you take an action you're responsible for that action it's as simple as that right mm-hmm. yeah. and and you have this you know deeper sense coming from your professional experiences right you know Do you find that it's difficult to help others reach that understanding?
1: Yes. I mean, it's, you know, it's a very slow process because I think they have to come to trust you first um, so that they do sort of have trust and belief in, in what you're saying. And it's a sort of a tricky guidance, if you will, to get them to begin to think about... What's gone on, and oftentimes yeah. I will try and focus people really away from in the case of homicide away from the act and and the person who you know committed the offense more to focus on them and their healing and the person who died uh-huh. you know uh-huh. so it's not to sort of fuel that um, anger and rage, but it does take some. Fancy footwork, if you will, right?
0: Uh, <laughs> you know, this is, this, you know, something I, I, I really struggle with, right? You know, that, you know, I understand, you know, the role that, you know, anger has in, in prolonging these things. I understand why people would feel anger and, and, and embittered. Um, but, you know, it frequently feels like, you know, raising the possibility of forgiveness is something that you do for yourself, is so profoundly invalidating right and so it's 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 a difficult thing to approach you know i think with a lot of people because you know it they literally feel like to forgive is to let somebody off the hook right
1: right yeah and it's interesting about the you know you use the word sort of um invalidating and, and i think mm-hmm. that in in working with people with especially traumatic bereavement you do want their experience to feel validated. And I guess that's some of the fancy yes. footwork. And people who know of my personal experience, I mean, sort of gives me a little bit of credibility in that regard.
0: Um, yes, right? yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's such an amazing uh, process, right? You know, where you've really been able to take this horrific event and you know use it personally and professionally right and uh, it's it's got to be such a um an amazing boon in your work right to be able to connect with people in their pain and on that level
1: and and i think like you said that then can be be sort of uh, more almost sort of inherent sort of validation but you know, the one qu- uh-huh. word that you, you said that uh, made me reflect, too, is the one of forgiveness. And, you know, Jonathan, uh-huh. a lot of people had asked me about forgiveness. And I have to be honest that in my healing, forgiveness was not something I ever thought of. Okay. Um, and, and a lot of clients will say to me in terms of their own personal experience, you know, well, how do I forgive this person? Um, so I mean, uh, for me, it was more on one of understanding the person and the behavior rather than I didn't, I didn't even feel I needed forgiveness, but so many people do. So it's really exploring what forgiveness means. Like you said, to that individual.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And something I've been thinking a lot about, you know, lately is, you know, because it's such a, um, polarizing word right yeah you know and and looking for words that kind of get at what i mean by forgiveness and Mm -hmm. i'm starting to shift my language away from forgiveness and towards letting go of bitterness as as a sort of a way of you know it's not really about what that other person did it's about what your reaction is doing to you Right, and ha- right. what happens when you hang on to that bitterness, and you just sit there with that bitterness, right, and carrying that bile within you? You know, it, it, you know, it was was it the Mark Twain who said, you know, anger is a an acid that you know destroys the vessel in which it's carried? For sure, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In your work, do you find in any ways that? You know, you have to guard against your like this incredibly powerful story uh, actually getting in the way of, you know, being able to understand somebody else's process.
1: Well, I'm very sort of aware. I mean, that's probably why it took some eight to 10 years before I did this work, you know, is right to make sure that I did my own trauma work and and my own grief work and was able to sort of, you know, not let my biases come into the work and to be guided by the person. Um, You know, sometimes where it it gets challenging is that if I'm working with someone who hasn't experienced trauma or bereavement, they will often, if they know of my story, feel that their problems are somehow Less than mine, and they will say, how can I, you know, how can I complain about this when I know what you've been through and and I just remind yeah. them that you know you can't let my grief rob you of your grief or your experiences, and we all have challenges, you know, so sometimes it it can get in the way in that regard,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely i and I hear that you know similar refrains, not with respect to myself. Um, but, you know, uh, veterans and, you know, first responders, you know, you know, so often saying, you know, H- how come I, I deserve this diagnosis when I know others have gone through worse. Right. Right. And it, it's a very similar kind of thing, you know, and it's, it's, you know, that messes, is you know, we it's, it's, it's really, it's kind of senseless to, uh, to compare traumas, Right. I will guarantee you that you can identify people whose traumas are worse. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Right. You know, you know, clearly, I mean, it, it, there's always somebody in a worse condition, a worse place. Right. And this idea that we have to be that person in order to you know, earn our pain, of course, is 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 not not rational.
1: Right, and so it's redirecting. I think, as we're both saying, the individual back to their challenges, right, and Mm -hmm.
0: you
1: know, focusing Mm on on sort of their barriers.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You've done such an amazing job of, you know, growing. I would imagine. I mean, you know, who you are as a person you know, I mean, would be a stranger if you were to meet yourself on that other mm. timeline, right? Who would that person be, right? Right. And I wonder what sort of, what you've gained, you know, it, on, on this timeline that that other person might not have.
1: Yeah, that's a, an interesting way to, to look at it. You know, I always say that every experience impacts us, and some Mm -hmm. more profoundly, of course, and more deeply than others. Um, And so when I think of, you know, when you talk about sort of growth, as we progress through our grief, as we were talking earlier, it changes. And initially we need that energy we have to process the trauma and process the grief so that we can then shift the focus of our energy into living again and and sort of making meaning and and growing from our, our trauma. And so I think I've learned, Oh, probably one thing I learned was self-care. Um, Oh yeah. Yes. That was probably my first lesson. Um, and you know, living each day fully. I mean, we taught Zachary to live each day fully and, um thankfully we did because his life was cut very short um and so because of that I you know I think I've tried to live each day fully in the present um I've seen the impact that compassion and kindness can have not only on the people who receive it but even how it on, on the helper you know um, so I've probably grown in terms of my interactions with others and also my own self care, which is a daily task still, I think for all of us.
0: That's you, you really touched on one of my favorite themes, you know, that, that idea of compassion, right. You know, in, in work with first responders, you know, I mean, the, 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 that U shaped relationship between compassion and trauma, right. Where if, you know, if you've got too much, you know, it's seen as a vulnerability, you're, you're going to burn out, right. You have to somehow shut that down. Right. But on the other end, I truly believe that mindful compassion like choosing to act with compassion and observing yourself being compassionate and, you know, being aware of how your compassion is helping a situation and helping yourself in that situation, right? I think mindful compassion is a way of healing your way through trauma. It's mm-hmm. a way of protecting yourself, you know, in future you know, traumatic situations. You know, and and finding meaning in them, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I that's such a, a a fascinating concept to me. You know, the way that compassion has this role in overcoming trauma.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and you know, as as I'm listening, you know, to you so nicely put all that together, it, it sort of comes back to that fancy footwork because when we're we're dealing with people. Experiencing, you know, trauma response. It's so hard for them initially to see that, right? yes And then it's so rewarding in time to see them learn it or understand yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. You know, it and it's, you know, that process of helping them transform their relationship to what that trauma was. Right. And it'll never be gone. It'll never be eliminated. It's never going to, we're never going to turn you into someone to whom this thing didn't happen. You're never going to be the person you were before. Right. But we can change your relationship with that event. Right. And change its trajectory of, of how it's going to end up, you know, having an impact on you in the future.
1: And I think that as a, you know, when you talk about the relationship to that event, I mean, it becomes, so important in terms of of traumatic bereavement because you want to maintain a relationship with the person, a healthy relationship with the person who died, you know, through connection mm-hmm. of memory or lessons learned, or you know, because it's one of continued connection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just made me reflect yeah. on, on that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, you, you know, yours is a great example. I think, you, you know, you, you would never want to push it away and forget it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and that, and maybe that's one of the, you know, the differences between traumatic grief where you have that personal connection, you know, to that, to that event. And, you know, that person who's, you know, sort of a subtly thrust into, you know, Uh, That trauma without being personally connected to the others involved um, is that, you know, you do want to maintain that connection. Although, to be honest, I've actually seen that I've seen um, I've seen a uh, wonderful man I know who uh, who literally takes this this stranger, you know, that he had to deal with, you know, as a firefighter and built an ongoing relationship with the intrusive memory, it's the most one. No, no input from me whatsoever. Um, he just started, you know, sort of saying to this intrusive image, oh, hey, how you doing? Right. Good to see you again. Right. And <clears throat> even like, oh, you must really like me because you sure do hang around a lot. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, you know, and it was it, it really began to transform. Right. Building this relationship you know, with that with that individual, I can I've seen that go in the opposite direction, too, where it was, you know, not such a positive thing, you know, in terms of the assumptions and whatever about, you know, that imagery. And but I it, think,
1: it, oh, I was just going to say, you know, I think when you talk about sort of pushing away, especially in traumatic bereavement in time, we, we get to a place, I think, where we can leave the death story, if you will, behind us. And then that yes. allows us to focus on on the life story, right? So when yes. you do your trauma work, um, it makes room for life memories. And I think as we progress in our grief, that's obviously what we want, you know? And people yeah. will say, yeah. like, I, I can only think of, you know, my mother or my son or my daughter's death. Like, I can't even... Remember their life, you know, which just highlights the need Mm -hmm. to do some trauma work on the death to make way for those life memories, right?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. We're dealing right now, of course, with you know the world that you know brings up you know Stalin's words, right? You know that a single death is a tragedy and a million deaths are a statistic. Mm. And you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you know those families that are are impacted right now uh mm-hmm. actually in, in two directions right there are the families who are experiencing death and loss this year that are not covid related and thinking about how they may feel sort of you know what about me <laughs> i had this loss you know yeah. it was just a car accident or whatever right but i mean it was still a loss mm-hmm. right and everyone's talking about this other thing over here right? right you know we're looking at you know the the opioid crisis right mm-hmm. and you know, the, the, the huge toll that that, you know, crisis is taking that some people argue is quite comparable, if perhaps even worse, than, you know, the COVID crisis. And, you know, yeah, the way in which, you know, these, these enormous losses can start to feel invalidated as well.
1: And, you know, you know in my work um, over the past six to eight months, as we've been sort of gripped by this pandemic, I mean, a uh, as you know I work with a lot of people who have experienced a significant loss and and all the things Jonathan that we may do to help us in our our grief such as the support of others or going for you know out for dinner with a friend or going to the gym to burn off some of that emotional energy you know have really been yeah. taken from us um yes. so it does yeah. really impact their bereavement and their grief and that they're so isolated at a time when they need support
0: mhm and and the role of ritual right you know of like our, our our schema of how we process a loss right you know which we could you know we can question and look at that you know and you know you know i remember an old you know comedy album about you know going to a going to a funeral and everyone's standing there and saying oh doesn't he look like himself you know he all this kind of the you know the the you know the, that weird way we have of, of processing you know death in the west by pretending it's just falling asleep you know and this kind of a thing but you know nonetheless you know bizarre or not i mean every ritual is on its surface bizarre and, and meaningless. I mean, you know, what's this thing of putting up a tree in your living room? I mean, what, what's, what exact, how does that, so Christ was related to the tree, how? Don't, don't go there, don't go there, right? So, you know, every ritual is bizarre. Every ritual is is without inherent meaning, mm-hmm. but ritual also brings meaning. It ties us together, it brings us community, and it's all been so disrupted. Mm-hmm. Right? And then the impact, the pain that that is is is, is producing, right? And how do you, you know, work through a loss when we've ripped away these, these rituals?
1: Right. And I mean, you know, coming together at a at a visitation or a funeral. You know, it's such an important ritual because it it's it's where you often turn your grief or the internal experience into mourning where you share your emotions and you share your memories. Um and mm-hmm. now people are having to do that on their own.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And you know, I think we're, we're really up against the limits of, of zoom. I mean, I, you know, I don't know about you, I've kind of gotten used to, you know, the, uh, you know, the video thing when it's one-on-one, right. You know, I can, you know, I can talk to you and feel like, oh, it's all, almost the same as being in the room together. Right. But, you know, let there be a group. <laughs> it's a whole different thing. You know, it's a very bizarre experience, you know, to try to, you know, uh, have that, group thing going on you know where every time someone opens their mouth it's like eh, 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 you know trying to jump into a conversation and it's just it gets very unnatural very quickly you know and it, yeah we're really having to find different ways I think of of connecting you know and and yet it's so important to be able to do that right Yeah,
1: especially at a time of loss
0: yeah 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 do you have, you know, at this point, you've done so much work with grief, personally and professionally. Do you have, you know, sort of a, um, a in a sense, a, a guidebook to grieving, right? That that you know you'd be able to sort of summarize and, you know, provide as a, as advice, I guess, to to those who are are dealing with those losses today.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think like we said earlier, it's important to remember that there are no stages, right? Because Uh that misconception leads many people to believe they're grieving wrong. So Uh Uh that sort of is another point is there really is no right or wrong to grieve for bereavement. Um, Everybody grieves differently. There is no timeline. Uh, Grief is work. I mean, that's another um, important point is that It's not time that heals, but actually what we might do with that time. So you have to be open to your your thoughts and your feelings, um, both the trauma ones and the grief ones, because that's what helps us in our forward movement. You know, you have to talk about the person who died. I think so many people don't want to raise the name. I mean, I know people were shocked sometimes when I would share a memory of Zachary and they'd be like, my sense was they're thinking, my gosh, she still talks about him. She's not over it yet. Whereas we want yeah. to embrace those memories, you know, and in words yes. like, you know, you talked earlier too, Jonathan about sometimes language and reframing and, you know, people say like, how do I accept this? And And it's like, yeah, that's a hard word when your child has died. How do you accept that your child has died? But maybe that's not yeah. the word to use, right? Somehow you have to reconcile with that reality and integrate that experience into yourself. Um, working to maintain a connection, you know, carry out those rituals. Like, you know, we will have certain things we do, certain Christmas ornaments that are Zachary's, right? Um, uh-huh. Still put his stocking up, you know, like... Ma- creating and maintaining those rituals to keep the memory alive, right? I probably yeah. live by keeping that memory alive, right? So yeah, I guess a big thing is don't turn inward, but try and express your thoughts and your feelings and work to maintain a connection with that person who has died. And you, it's hard right now with, with COVID, but use support,
0: you know? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Supports are there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, things are changed, right? Things have gotten in the way, but you know, so long as you own a telephone, you can find support. Yeah. You know, you can find a friend. You can speak to somebody.
1: Yeah. Go out for yeah. a walk, and you know, with a friend, and and
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, all those things that can be so helpful
0: yes yeah absolutely absolutely Yeah, you spoke of you know keeping that memory alive and of course there's that idea that you know so long as someone remembers right you know we're never truly gone you know it's i think is a yeah a a really beautiful uh you know thought and you know it's 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 a really fascinating concept when you dive into it too
1: and some people you know in the initial sort of Meetings, when we get together, I know, especially with parents, I mean, there's a fear that Mm -hmm. their child will be forgotten. I remember even when I had my second child, I I thought, oh, my gosh, people are going to think I'm over it and they're going to forget Zachary, you know. But it doesn't happen with people who knew and loved him or or me. But by keeping that memory alive, like you say, you keep the person alive, you know, so he's very much a part of our family.
0: Yes, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, he's he's a part of your family, he's a part of your career, he's a part Mm -hmm. of your identity. Right? He's, yeah. you know, you're absolutely, you know. I, I I Honestly, I don't think that it's just a matter of you keeping Zachary alive. I think it's a matter of Zachary keeping you alive.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it, yeah. I mean, yeah. sort of, yeah, the love and the energy and uh, the gifts that he's given me have sustained me through the trauma, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to embrace that memory. Rather than push it away, being able to let yourself have the feelings, you know, rather than shutting them down, Mm -hmm. right? Honoring your process of of moving through them, whatever that process looks like, you know, Mm -hmm. leaning into it rather than, you know, blocking it up and, you know, pushing it away.
1: Yeah, which is, as we said, can be so hard sometimes with with trauma, right? But it's Mm -hmm. so important. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and ultimately, even, you know, even with trauma, right, at some point, you know, I wouldn't say everyone who's traumatized has to reprocess, you know, the, the memory and deal with that, because I think in some cases, it's not actually possible. Um, but I think in the majority of cases, right, I, I do believe that's necessary, right, to sort of leaning into it, yeah. you know, and, and really work it through.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree there in terms of my work, you know, that when it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: possible, I mean, sometimes traumatic deaths are complicated if there's sort of no body or if, you know, I mean, oh, yes. that does for sure impact grief when, you know, there's been yeah. sort of a drowning or a burning or, you know, because seeing that the person dead is really helpful to acknowledge the reality So when you don't have that,
0: it's very complicated. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And yet somehow, as you said, you still have to lean into that experience, right? And the challenges Mm -hmm. of that unique experience.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're heading into this this dark winter. Yes. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, we're 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 heading into uh, a season where so many people are going to be dealing with so much loss. So many uh, first responders. I think of the and particularly the 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 health professionals, right? You know, in the hospitals and you know having to to deal with what they are dealing with and are about to deal with. And you know how I think we you know we may very well be seeing a lot of that population showing up in our work. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hope that this, you know, conversation actually becomes a bit of a a, um, a tool, you know, that uh, people can refer to and, and to help understand a little bit of, of that process and, you know, some of the ways in which, you know, we can get tripped up and the ways in which we can untrip ourselves, right, and yeah. get ourselves back on track, you know. So thank you so much, Laura. Oh, my pleasure, Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been fantastic to uh, to speak to you and and to hear your thoughts on this. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you again.